morning. You guys all have a choice, and I have a choice with our attitudes. We have a choice to make a response to the same situation that someone else has a choice to make a response to. We can take something that's really difficult and respond with joy, or we can respond by complaining. We can take a response to something that's very, very challenging. We can respond with joy, or we can be, choose to be miserable. We have choices to make an opportunity to live out in front of people Jesus Christ with our attitudes. We control our actions and attitudes. If there's one area that many and most of us need some work in, it's in this area. What do you choose to say? What do you choose to do? How do you choose to respond when a difficult circumstance comes your way? I just read recently that there's a church in Florida that has parties, celebrations. And at certain times of the year, they have these celebrations called count it all joy parties. Now think about that for a second. They're taking it from the Bible where it says, count it all joy when you face all the trials and tribulations of your life, knowing full well that God will work it out and you will become mature in doing so. So instead of having pity parties, they have counted all joy parties. And people come and they bring their difficulty, their adverse situation, and they come and they celebrate God because they know that God promises to get them through it, and God will work it out for good. Now, that is a great idea. Amen? Can I get one amen out of that? Wow. Can I get two amens out of that? (laughs) Count it all joy parties instead of pity parties and misery parties. Lord, even though I'm facing this, even though I'm going through this, even though it's hard, even though I'm overwhelmed to the point of death and I don't know I can make it, I trust in you and know that you are with me. And I'm going to celebrate not in the circumstance, but I'm going to celebrate in the God that will get me through the circumstance. All of us face trials. All of us face difficulties. And if you're not in one, you're about ready to go through one or you're coming out of one. All of us have difficulties in our lives. But we have a choice to choose joy. The Christian life is the best life. It's not always the easiest life, but there should be a joy that's deep down, a rich satisfaction that comes from knowing that God is in control even when it doesn't feel like it. And all of us have been there. Three years ago yesterday, my father passed and went to be with the Lord. And I can remember that moment. I was out running yesterday. And when I run, I use it as a praise time to our God. And so when I run, I think of praises. And I think of all the things that God has done. I, don't, I, I just reflect on that. I don't put headphones on. I don't fill my head with anything praises. So as I'm running, I'm praising God. And the further I ran and the more I ran, the more my step would pick up when I began to think of all the things that God has done for me. And as I was reflecting yesterday, as I was running on my dad's three-year anniversary of heaven, I remember the moment I was seated upstairs in the loft area and we were interviewing Pastor Jordan. He was there and he was there with his wife, Shelby. And I was there with the pastoral staff and there were some wives there. And we were having conversations and we had already had some other ones and we just wanted to get to know him better. It was a very exciting time. Love Jordan to pieces. I'm so grateful he's on our team and Shelby too and little Silas. Praise God for Silas too. What a joy. Kid is always smiling, isn't he? Praise God. Just like Jordan actually. And, but we were up there and, and we were having a, just interacting, seeing if there was chemistry 
and my phone buzzed. It was in my pocket. And so I reached down and opened it up and, and hit it. And I saw it was a text. And I saw it was from my sister. And the words on it was three words. Dad is dead. No, you don't get texts like that very often. And as I was seated there, I realized all around me, we were excited about meeting Jordan and, and getting to know him better. And I had a choice to make in that moment. Would I stand in the promises of our God, would I allow this very difficult situation and circumstance and not knowing the full details derail me or would I trust in God? And so we began to ask more questions and I waited for an opportune time that I could walk out and I walked out on the, the deck here and, and, and I texted my sister and I said, what happened? And she told me how my dad breathed his last breath. And so I left, and I left a text with the guys and said, hey, guys, I got some things to take care of. I didn't want to disrupt what was happening in that moment. Went home and told my wife, and we shared together that moment, texted our kids, and it was a hard moment when you lose your father. But I can say this. Even in that moment, there was a deep, deep joy because I knew my dad knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And even though I was hurting and heartbroken, I could stand in the promises of knowing that my dad was with Jesus Christ. That same day, September the 28th, three years ago, we had a doctor's appointment that was planned for our, our younger son at the time, Isaiah. He was a senior in high school at Fairfield High School. He was on the basketball team. The season was getting ready to get started. He was a senior looking forward to his senior year. And so we had a doctor's appointment that was at 1.30 in the afternoon. And so we still had to go to this doctor's appointment to get his knee looked at because he had some pain in his knee. So Ann and Isaiah and I were in the car. We're still reeling from dad's death. And I, our children just love their grandpa. And we're going to this doctor's appointment. And we go to the doctor's office trying to stand in the promises of God. And we go in. They do an x-ray. And we're there for about 15 minutes. And the doctor comes in the room after already hearing this about dad. Walks in. And he says, I have some hard news for, for Isaiah. I said, well, what is it? He said, his leg is broken. And it's probably his senior year of basketball will be gone. Now, <laughs> that's hard. That's really hard. If some of you understand, if you ever played sports your senior year, and I remember sitting in that moment thinking, wow, that's hard. But I can remember as we drove away, we were reminded ourselves of who God was and who he was for us and that somehow God would walk us through this. And you know what? He did and he does. Amen. And we have a choice to make. Will we fall apart or will we stand in his strength and let him hold us up? And will we choose joy in the midst and count it all joy knowing that our God will work it out for good? The disciples were facing a very difficult time. Jesus, who they had spent a long time with, was finally leaving them and going to heaven. And so he gave them some some last words, and they had a choice to respond in joy or in pity. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 24, and I'll show you what I mean. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Luke chapter 24, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to read verses 36 through 52. But when you find that, or even as you're finding that, stand up as we read God's word together out loud. Luke chapter 24 
verses 36 to 52. Let's read this out loud together. Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 52. Read it with me. Ready, read. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. When they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. You may have a seat. This is their last face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ before he ascends to heaven. They were startled because many of them were living with some regret that they didn't go to the cross because they were fearful and afraid of what might happen to Jesus. While they walked with him, they believed. But there was this moment in time when, really, when it took place, much like us sometimes, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe, I trust, I trust. But as soon as the actual event takes place, some of us retreat away in fear instead of faith. And many of them did that at the cross, but now Jesus is standing in front of them, and they're having a conversation with others who had seen him, and they didn't expect to see him. And when they saw him, they were startled and afraid. But I will say this. The reason they had joy and the reason we can have joy is joy is a byproduct of anchoring our lives in the right place. So when we're anchored in Jesus, joy can come out of that. More than anyone on planet Earth, we should be the most joy-filled people who have ever lived. Not only do we have our own stories of what Christ has done for us, and some of you are going to see them today in the tank of what God has done for your loved ones, but some of us have stories of our own. And so often we forget, I prayed and you prayed and you didn't know how you were going to get through something and you lost sleep and maybe you, had, you were for weeks going on wondering and now, look, you're, you're three years past that moment. Don't forget, there was a moment where you prayed and you didn't think you could make it. Guess what? And here you are today. We have testimonies Hundreds and hundreds of testimonies. And these disciples did also. And so more than ever, we should be the ones who are joy-filled. But it matters where you plant your faith in. Now think about that for a second. If you were to plant and go get a flower and you wanted this flower to grow, you got some chrysanthemums and you say, I want chrysanthemums, I want them to come back next fall and I want them to be big, big. And we got one of them on the side of our house. It's this big and it's just awesome. But if you plant a chrysanthemum, if you plant it in concrete, what happens to it? 
It's going to die. But if you plant it in rich soil and you plant it in fertile soil, it will grow. And so if you're not anchored in the right place, you will die or you will continue to flourish because you're anchored in Jesus. Circumstances should never determine our joy. I love what A.W. Tozer said many years ago. He said this, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. It's in our trials and our struggles and our hardships that we grow. Adverse circumstances prove what our ultimate values are in or who they're in. So how would you define joy? Here's my definition of joy. Joy is the subtle assurance that God is in control of the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. Choice, choice, choice. And so these disciples find themselves with Jesus. And they know he's leaving. He just was resurrected from the the grave. But he's going to leave and they have a choice to make too. Watch how this unpacks again. Look at verse 36. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, I don't know if you just don't want to gloss over what took place, but they're having a conversation. Just figure. You're standing around, you're in a huddle, and man, did you hear that Jesus, he appeared to 500 people, and these men on the road to Emmaus, they, got, they appeared to him, and someone else saw him, and, 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 and do you realize he's alive? And as they're talking, they're thinking about it. Yeah, I know, man, I feel bad about not going to the cross. And it says, as they're talking, boom, he stood among them. You see, Jesus had out-of-this-world capabilities at this moment. And so while they were talking, it says, it didn't say they watched him come. He just stood among them. And it's no wonder that he says to them, hey, I'm not a ghost. And it's no wonder they were startled because he wasn't there and now he's there. And Jesus is with them. Another way of saying this, the joy that they found is knowing that Jesus was with them. Another way of saying this, happiness depends on outcomes, events, and people, while joy depends on Jesus. You see, if you choose joy, you will not stumble and fall into the endless pursuit of seeking out happiness. (laughs) God never called us to be happy. He called us to be holy. (laughs) Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe it seems like you have everything. You've earned your way to the top of the business field. Your savings is secure. And the only thing that brings you happiness is more recognition, more accomplishments, more possessions, another trophy, more, more, more. And you'll end up unsatisfied. If you're not anchored in Jesus alone, you will never find real joy. Never. But you can see it, though, when people have it. Because no matter what's happening out here, whatever the the world brings them, whatever happens around them, no no matter how broken it might appear, they can stand in the midst of because they're anchored to the rock of Jesus Christ. I've said this and I've said this many, many times to single people. And by the way, I was a single person once that was lonely (laughs) and I wanted to be married. And I longed to find a wife that loved Jesus with all of her heart. And praise God, God brought me my precious bride in. But I know this to be true. If you're lonely now as a single, 
And if you think marriage is going to bring you joy and happiness, you are kidding yourself. If your joy is banked on something other than Jesus, you will end up lonely and bitter in your marriage. Because the only thing that brings ultimate joy is not a possession, a person, a relationship. It's only Jesus Christ. So don't be looking for contentment and joy in a person or a relationship or even marriage. If it's not already in your identity and security isn't already in Jesus, you will never find it in marriage. You'll be lonely, bitter in that relationship too. It's only in Jesus Christ. And it says here in verse 37, it says this, it says, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, well, why are you troubled? Why do you, does doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands, he said, and my feet. See the scars? And by the way, the scars in his hands and his feet are the only man-made thing that'll ever appear in heaven. <laughs> Just a little tidbit of information. He says, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. They were troubled, and Jesus calms their fear by saying, touch me. In other words, he's saying, I am with you. And then he says in verse 40, or says in verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of the joy that he was with them in amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? <laughs> I just love it. Like, like, they're just, they can't believe that like, Jesus is there. He's like, hey, by the way, I'm hungry. You got any food? <laughs> and so they go and they brought him a fish. What he's showing by that is a picture of what the resurrection will look like for us. We will eat in heaven. <laughs> we will have flesh and blood and bodily forms in heaven because this is Jesus' resurrected body. They grabbed a hold. It wasn't just a ghost. And he's saying, look at me. This is what you have to look forward to and we will be eating. And so as he grabbed some food to eat, it still says... As they looked at him, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and it took it and he ate it in their presence. And then it says in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's trying to bring them peace as they're standing in this amazement. You know what he's reminding them of in this moment? He's saying, if you build your life on circumstances, you are going to be miserable at least as often as you are happy. And way too many people build their lives trying to find that next thing that makes them happy. Get that next vacation. Get that next possession. Get that next relationship. Get that next job. Get the one where I can sleep more or I can vacation more. And I'll be happy. It has nothing to do with happiness. Joy and contentment can only be found in Jesus. Here's some observations over the years that I have personally noticed about joyful people. They are often in good health. And when I say good health, spiritually, physically, relationally, and emotionally. Often in good health because they don't let the worry, they don't become worry words. They don't let the things of the word t world and the trials that they walk through beat them down. They stand in the midst and so they are often in good health. They often value discipline and relationships. People are important to them and they spend time with them. They acknowledge them and they're glad to be with them. 
joyful people, my things that I've noticed, they're appreciative and thankful. You cannot spend time with a joyful person that you didn't walk away encouraged. Or you didn't walk away here and thank you. Good job. Great job. They have this awareness that it's not about them and they're there to lift others up. And so a very joyful person who is rooted in Jesus cannot not encourage someone else. And the other thing I've noticed is this. They resist major discouragement and downs when things go bad. You don't see faces that are sour. Now they cry, yes, absolutely. And yes, they're concerned and they feel overwhelmed to the point of death. But hear me out. They don't let what's happening out here destroy their faith and rattle the stability they have in Jesus Christ. And they stand as best as they can in the strength of the Lord in the midst of the hardship. I see joyful people. Now, answer a question for me. When you think of a joyful person, a person that's filled with joy, what do you picture? Just picture. Man, that person is always filled with joy. What are the characteristics about that person that pop out? At some point or another, you know what they're doing? They're looking to Jesus instead of looking at the circumstance. <laughs> They're believing in the word of God instead of believing what the doctor said. They're believing that they have hope and eternity, even if it means death in a physical way on earth. They're anchored in the hope of Jesus Christ. So regardless of what's happening on the outside, they know that the Lord has not folded his hands on their situation. So Jesus continues to talk to them. Look what he says as he talks to them in verse 40 or 45. It says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. Man, what that must have been like. He opened their minds and he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm good on my word. You can bank on my promises. And before we look at the things in front, he's saying in front of you, know this truth. You can trust me. So people who have joy are just basically saying, even though it's falling apart around me, God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. And I choose to respond in joy because I know that you are with me. However, we have this enemy called Satan. You know what he tries to do? Tell us just the opposite. And Satan knows if he can control your thinking, he can control your life. And the assault of the lies from the outside of despair and doubt and gloom will be targeted at your mind. And so what do you do? You have the shield of faith, (laughs) the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the feet red with the redness prepared to share the gospel, the helmet of salvation. You battle back with what? With the truth of God's word instead of listening to the lies. You say, no, and you grab it, you capture it, and you throw it away and you replace it with the truth of God's word. That's how you stand in the midst of adversity. The 
problem is this. Some of us try to fix it with the same kind of thinking that got us there. And here's what I know to be true. We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. (laughs) And some of us have let our thinking. It's just stinking thinking. Believe in lies and doubts and twisted and, and... And so we let that thinking create this misery in our life. It's a choice that we make. And then we say, I don't know how to get out of here because we're thinking with the same things. We need to go back to the promises and the truths of his word and speak those things into the darkness, into the lies. And then and only then will we get out of the hole that we're in. I heard this many years ago and this statement is so true, but you have to listen to it slowly. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. (laughs) I know that kind of blows your mind for a second, but just hold on. It blows my mind, so maybe it didn't blow your mind. But let that sit in for a second. You're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So in other words, the thoughts and the words that you speak I say it this way, the Jim Brown version is we need to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. Speak truth back into the lies. And when we do, we see more clearly and then we recognize, even though this is hard, even though this is difficult, even though I don't know I can make it, I will stand on the promises of God's word and we will make it because I'm rooted in Jesus Christ. So what should we do when trials come if You act like a follower of Jesus. If you believe God is good, then act like it. (laughs) If you believe God works all things out for good, then act like he does. If you believe God promises to finish what he started in you and your kids, then act like it. If you believe this is not your final home and your citizenship is in heaven, then act like it. If you believe that God is sovereign and in complete control, then act like it. If you believe that with God all things are possible, then act like it. If you believe that God can do immeasurably more than what you ask or imagine, then act like it. It is your choice. And I choose to believe that, and I choose to act that out, and I will stand in the midst of trials because I stand with Jesus. And so can you. It's your choice. Now listen, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. But you have a choice. And let me tell you something. Your stinking thinking around me, your negative voices, I'm not taking that path. And you can come after me with all you want. I'm telling you, I choose to believe in Jesus Christ and his word. And I will bank on that promise. So Jesus is having this conversation because he knows. They're probably going to ask, how are we going to make it? Jesus, you're leaving us. <laughs> Come on, hang out for us a little longer. Like, we want to go tell people and take you with us and say, here he is. <laughs> like, let's go to the Jerusalem Cafe. Let's have some Starbucks and sit down and say, hey, who's your friend? Well, this is Jesus. Have you heard the story? He was dead like six days ago, and he's alive. But no, he says, no, now you will be my witnesses. So what does he say to them? Look again at the text. He says, in verse 48, I'm going to send you, or verse 48 says, you are witnesses of these things. What things? He's he's alive. (laughs) 
and I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You are my witnesses. Living proof that Jesus is here. Now let me pull away and make it very personal. There are times when I look at my mom's situation, as most of you know the story of my mom. She has dementia and Alzheimer's. And, and you know, I lost my mom, ability to converse with my mom years ago. And sometimes I go there and I have to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. And I stand in the joy and I see my mom. And sometimes I, I want to ask God, God, why do you still have her here? Like, what is the purpose of my precious, beautiful, godly mom? Like, God, what is the purpose of her 80-year-old frail body still being in this home when she's not sure of all that's happening? God, what, what is the purpose? But I choose to come back and say, listen, my God says that he will work all things out for good, and there is a purpose behind this, and I trust in that. Why? Because he has never let us down, and he will never let us down. So what do you do? You live according to your theology instead of your anxiety. Boy, some of us do. We live according to our worry. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Oh, it's hard. Instead of our theology that says our God's a good God and our God will work it out for good and our God promises never leave us nor forsake us and our God knew before the foundation of the world that he was sovereignly in control of our lives and our God numbers our days and our God is in full control. Instead of living in your anxiety, you live in your theology that says my God is a perfect God, and whatever he chooses to send my way, it was his choice because he knew it was good for me, and it would make me a stronger believer in Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, I trust you. And peace is the product of right thinking. You see, the God of peace will be with you, and that's what he told his disciples. The more practice you give your mental burdens to the Lord, the more exciting it becomes to watch him handle these things in your life. And instead of living in sin with the grip of fear and worry, sleep in peace because God is with you. So watch what happens. Look at verse 50. So he's ready to leave, and he's telling them that I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. The comforter will be here with you. It's going to be okay. And this is his parting action. It's beautiful. In fact, I, I love reading this. Jesus could have done anything, and this is what he chose to do when he finally said goodbye. Verse 50, when he had led them out in the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. So picture, Jesus himself, nail-scarred hands. Can you picture they're looking at his nail-scarred hands? And it says he lifted up his hands and he, he prayed a blessing over them. And as he's blessing them, it says he was lifted up. What a visual that must have been. They're getting a blessing from Jesus, and they're looking up, and he's leaving them and going and ascending to heaven. And it says while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. And what was their response? Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great what? Joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Why? Because hope in the future releases a joy for today. And you know what else I would say? And the desire to tell others about this hope that you have in Christ. I told you this, but recently I've been praying over the last six to eight weeks, Lord, 
Help me to see the world the way you see it. God, I want to see the lostness. God, don't let me bypass someone who needs Jesus. God, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Whether I turn to my right or left, my, my ears hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I find myself looking differently and thinking, does that person know Jesus, that person? And as I was running yesterday, this thought came to me as I was running and praising God and thanking him for my salvation. That's a good thing to do. Just take time, like take a long time and just thank God for your salvation. And as I was running, I had this visual that came to mind that God kind of gave to me, this picture that there was a day in the context of, of, of a hotel. A lot of times at hotels, you'll see no vacancy or you'll see the sign vacancy. And you know if there's vacancy, you can stay there. And before the foundation of the world, when God looked forward to the day that I would be born, he saw vacancy. <laughs> and God knew that, that I needed to be vacated. <laughs> and he knew that he needed to move and live in me. And so before I was born, it says God chose me and he chose me out to live in me. And I, I was, as I was running, I was like, wow, like that's deep <laughs> and that's good, isn't it? Jesus lives in us. And so as I was running, I was thinking about why God chose to live in me. He could have chose to live a lot of different places, but for some reason, I didn't do anything good to deserve it or get it. Nothing that, that was in me was good, but but Jesus wants to live in me. And so then I began to think I was running. If Jesus is living in me, then I want to give him a good place to live in. Like, I want to make it like a five-star hotel. And so as I was running, I was thinking, how can I make myself a five-star hotel? Like, we recently, Ann and I just recently stayed at a, a super, it was supposed to be a super eight. It was about a super three and a half. And it's like, man, <laughs> it was like, I kid you not, man. It was, we prayed over everything. <laughs> I kid you not. And that was this week. But I don't want that kind of super three and a half for God. <laughs> I want to be like a five-star hotel. And, and so I began praying, Lord, how can I? Like, in light of all that you've done for me and it's done for you, I want to make this house, this hotel, the fittest, strongest, healthiest, purest place that Jesus could ever live in. I want to roll out the red carpet so that when he comes and stays with me, he knows, wow, no three and a half here. <laughs> this is a five star. Can I ask you a question? What kind of hotel have you created for God to live in? What are you feeding yourselves? What are you, what are you thinking and running through your mind? What are, what are you, where are you taking your eyes and your hands and your actions to? Are you giving him a five star? And as I was running, I was like, oh, Lord, I want to give you the best. You're so good, God. Man, I was, I, there was vacancy in my heart, and you chose me. Like, I didn't deserve it, but, man, I'm grateful, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And as I was praising him, my speed started to pick up. It's like, I got to keep doing this. <laughs> But when you know what you have, you just got to tell others. Recently, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were in Kentucky. Our niece was getting married, or twin nieces, by the way. Anne's brother, my brother-in-law, has twin nieces. And last year, one got married, and now this one was getting married. So we went down, and, and we went to the wedding in Kentucky. Beautiful, beautiful state, beautiful people. Just, it was such a good time with family. But we went to a, a different church that Sunday. And by the way, that's always weird for us. Like we went to like a nine o'clock service. Like, and, and we were driving there. I, I told Aunt, wow, this is how the rest of the world lives. <laughs> we were out like at 1030. Like, what do we do now? <laughs> Usually we're out here at 130. <laughs> you know, and, and so we went, like, do we do lunch or do we do breakfast? <laughs> like, 
we never have to make that decision. <laughs> like, and so, well, let's do, let's go to Fazoli's. Like, okay. So we went to Fazoli's and we walk in Fazoli's like 11 o'clock and there's no one in there. Like, no one at all. Except for the clerk behind the counter. And I knew in an instance God had teed it up for us to talk to him. So we walked in and I was just encouraged by the message and fed by the pastor that delivered it. And we walked in and we started talking to this guy behind the counter. I said, hey, I saw his name was Dante. Hey, Dante, how you doing, man? And I said, yeah, we just got out of church. I said, hey, ask him. I said, are you connected to a church anywhere, Dante? He said, no, I'm not. I said, oh. I said, have you ever? He said, well, when I was little, I, I went to church. And I said, well, what happened? I don't know. I just kind of moved around, didn't go. I said, oh, man. I said, man, you're missing out. I said, you ought to go back. He said, yeah, I should. I looked at him and said, oh, oh, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so we start talking to him more about Jesus, and, and, and we got our order. And, and at Fazoli's, we know the routine there. You know, you get the order, and then they give you the, the stick that's this long with your number on it. And you take it back to your table, and then they bring it to you. It's like, it's only us and Dante in the whole restaurant. And we both sat down, and both of us said, and he's open, isn't he? Yeah. And I said, he's going to get saved. (laughs) And I kid you not, he came over, and I said, hey, can I just ask you a couple questions about Jesus? I said, what was it like when you went to church? I said, can I tell you my story? I said, this is what Jesus has done for me. I said, this is what my wife and I believe. I said, he's a good God. He gave a son, Jesus, and I said, you know what? He loves you too, Dante. And he just stood there like this. I said, he really does. I said, and he came to give his life for you too. I said, and you know what? You can have hope in this world and in the beyond this world if you trust in Jesus. Then I asked him, I talked to him, I said, would you like to trust in Jesus? Would you like to make him your Lord and Savior? And he kind of looked around. He said, yeah. He's <laughs> like, well, you made that easy, guy. Tee it up. <laughs> 300 yard drive right down dead center of the fairway. <laughs> I've never had one of those. <laughs> and I said, well, Would you like to do it now? He said, I, I would. And he had some dishes and he sat them down. I said, Well, this is how you do it. I said, Explain salvation. I said, You know, the prayer doesn't save you. I said, the prayer is just a confession of what you already believe. I said, but it, we, we like to pray to God. It's your first prayer to God. And I said, you can pray with me. Would you like to pray? You can pray right now. He said, out loud? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, let's do it. So he puts his hands on the table. Tears run down his face. And I'm praying, dear God. And he's, dear God. <laughs> and before we were done, Dante gave his life to Christ. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. Yeah, praise God. I get up and I, I said, man, I got to shake your hand and give you a hug. You're my brother. And I gave him a hug and he says, I want one too. <laughs> you see, when the joy of the Lord and your faith is rooted in Jesus, you cannot not tell the world about Jesus because Jesus is the best thing you've ever had live in you. You see, they were witnesses Otherwise, why would we ever celebrate his death? Like communion tonight, why are we celebrating the death of someone? Think about that for a second. In our world, we have a lot of heroes, don't we? But how often do we celebrate their deaths? What do we celebrate? Their birthdays. Why do we celebrate their birthdays? Because they're dead. (laughs) But we celebrate the death because it's a continuation of death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus' resurrection gave the disciples a picture of what they were headed to. Jesus' resurrection shows us that they don't need to be on an eternal quest for stuff down here. 
Even if we never check off our bucket list, listen to me, it really doesn't matter because we get a better version of it in heaven. We must be willing to forego something now and sacrifice because the best is yet to come. You see, that's the promise we have when we're rooted in Jesus. And what I know to be true is this, after 57 years of life, people who get too attached to earth, to this job, to this house, to this person, to this dream, to this 401, to this relationship, will lose their joy because they have not anchored their lives in Jesus alone. And so they worshiped him and they were filled with joy. Why? Hear me out. Jesus is as alive today as he was the day that he ascended from the disciples. And you can be rooted in him and find joy in the midst of the hardships that you face. Otherwise, you know what the opposite is? Worry works. And worry works are doom and gloom. It's going to be bad. It will probably end up this way. You freak out with your negative prophecy. No one is going to like me. No one is going to be there for me. Worry says, Lord, I don't believe you can take care of me, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And by the way, how's that working out for you? Worriers face anxious circumstances and give themselves permission to do godless things. And what are those godless things? Worry. Worry, 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 worry. Fret, 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 fret. Doom, 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 gloom, gloom, gloom. And refuse to trust in God's word. Paul would later say to consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations of many kinds. I love what Chuck Swindoll had to say, and I'll close with this. He said this, listen to this in regards to this whole topic. He said this, perhaps you find yourselves among those in the if-only group. You say you would laugh if only you had more money. If only you had more talent. If only you were more beautiful. If only you could find a fulfilling job. And Chuck says, I challenge those excuses. Just as more money never made anyone generous and more talent never made anyone grateful, more of anything never made anyone more joyful. He said the happiest people are rarely the richest or even the most beautiful or even the most talented. Happy people do not depend on excitement and funds supplied by externals. They enjoy the fundamental, often the very simple things of life. They waste no time thinking other pastures are greener. They do not yearn for yesterday or tomorrow. They savor the moment, glad to be alive, enjoying their work, their families, and the good things around them. They are adaptable. They can bend with the wind, adjust to the changes in their times, enjoy the contest of life, and fill themselves in harmony with the world. Their eyes are turned outward. They are aware, compassionate, and they have the capacity to love. And he wraps it up by saying this, without exception, people who consistently laugh do so in spite of seldom because of anything. 
They pursue fun rather than wait for it to knock on the door in the middle of the day. And such infectiously joyful believers have no trouble convincing people around them that Christianity is real and that Christ can transform a life. Joy is the flag that flies above the castle of their hearts, announcing that the king of the world is Jesus Christ, and he has taken residence in their heart. Oh, Lord, help us. (laughs) You are a good God. And in light of all that you've done for us, and in light of the fact that we had a vacancy sign in our heart, and you chose to live in us. We, of all people on planet Earth, should be the most joy-filled people alive. And so, God, I pray that we would be and that we would choose joy over worry and that we would choose joy over doom and gloom and we would trust in you because you, God, are our anchor. In Jesus' name, amen.